Welcome back to another episode of Whiskey and Lemon. I am Lana Mercedes, and on today's episode, we're going to be talking about friendship styles. Any relationship type episode seems to be a really big hit, but I am noticing a wild uptick in the interest in friendship episodes, so I had to bring this to you all. What is your friendship style? How many friends do you have? Are you the person that meets someone at a bar on a Saturday night and then adopts them as a close friend a few days later? Or are you the friend that people know for years and never quite feel like they know them? I know which one I am. Are you introverted and prefer deep conversations with one or two people? Or are you extroverted and want to make your way around the party, making brief conversations with everyone in the room? How many friends do you need to feel grounded? And I don't just mean connections, I mean solid friends. Anyone that you would consider a confidant. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, go back and listen to any of the friendship episodes I have. For a full understanding of the categories, you can specifically listen to episode 23. No matter which category you fall under, having some friends is really an essential part of life. At times, you may feel you don't want or need them, but having them is still beneficial as when you do need that connection, the friendship will already exist. In fact, there are several studies supporting that loneliness can be physically harmful including JAMA psychiatry studies by Nancy Donovan of Brigham and Women's Hospital and Harvard Medical, and studies by Julianne Holt-Lundstad, a professor of psychology at BYU, and Dr. Paul Rosenberg of the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences at Johns Hopkins Bayview Medical Center. According to the APA, American Psychological Association, social isolation is defined as the voluntary or involuntary absence of contact with others. They go on to state that social isolation often produces abnormal behavioral and physiological changes. They define loneliness as effective and cognitive discomfort or uneasiness from being or perceiving oneself to be alone or otherwise solitary. Social psychology emphasizes the emotional distress that results when inherent needs for intimacy and companionship are not met. Cognitive psychology emphasizes the unpleasant and unsettling experience that results from a perceived discrepancy, i.e. deficiency in quantity or quality, between an individual's desired and actual social relationships. The APA also mentions that psychologists from the existential or humanistic perspectives may see loneliness as an inevitable, painful aspect of the human condition that nevertheless may contribute to increased self-awareness and renewal. One of Lundstad's studies revealed that the risk of premature death was 50% lower for adults who had a greater connection with others, in comparison to those who were socially isolated. And let me be clear that based off the definitions that I provided from the APA, social isolation is actually being removed from connection, while loneliness can very much be felt even when you are in the company of others. That is why you hear things like feeling alone in a marriage or people being at parties and feeling disassociated. This also doesn't need to be delineated from any type of diagnosis and can be circumstantial. Another study suggests that loneliness may be linked to Alzheimer's, and more so if you are a carrier of the, and I'm sure I'm going to say this wrong, but the apolipoprotein E gene, which is an indicator for your risk of an early onset of Alzheimer's. There are studies with JAMA psychiatry that also indicate that there could be links between loneliness and cardiac diseases. Medical News Today reported a study by Dr. Candice Kroenk of the Kaiser Permanente Division of Research, who found that women had a 40% higher risk of breast cancer reoccurrence, and 60% of women had a higher risk of dying from breast cancer than socially integrated women. 
I've pulled up an article from Psychology Today and I'd love to go through the four friendship styles that they cover and tie that into some of the discussion points we've had together regarding friendship. Their first style is discerning. They explain this as someone with a few very close friends. Emotional closeness is high. The friendships tend to have lasted a long time. These individuals are less likely to form new friendships in their mid to late years. I'm generalizing here, but I would gather that this friendship is a more common one amongst introverts. And I also relate. It's not that extroverts don't identify with this one, but it's probably more prevalent in introverts. They focus on connecting with small groups and have an aversion to lackluster relationships and small talk. The second style is independent. This refers to those that also have a small number of friendships. However, they are also less likely to be emotionally close to their friends. They are more than okay with casual socialization and can often view their friendships as circumstantial, established with people they know from school, work, or their community. However, if circumstances were to change, the relationship would probably not be maintained. This is also one that introverts could probably relate to strongly because if introverts understand the categorization of friends, i.e. constituent, comrade, and confidant, and find that they have friends in that constituent group, They have the awareness to not need a deep bond and therefore if the circumstances change and the friendship can easily become lackluster, they can become complacent and would rather not spend their time with connections they do not feel nourishes the type of relationship that they want. The friends that they view as a constituent or comrade would fall in line here. And remember, constituents are for what you are for. It could be having similar beliefs, joining together to complete work projects or any other goal. You will work through challenges together, but will not generally be connected for life. Comrades are friends that are against what you are against. There is a common enemy or obstacle. You may connect with fighting injustice or bonding over disdain for something. You may be there to protect one another and stand up when one is being wronged or speaking out. But once the victory or bond is completed, the friendship probably will be too. Just like with constituents, once the commonality is removed, that connection is as well. There doesn't need to be any ill will, the mission was completed, and the goal was achieved. The third friendship style is selectively acquisitive. These are the people who are out there meeting anybody and everybody. Psychology Today says some in their circle are intimate friends. Some are much more casual, but they are all thought of as friends. Acquisitive people also tend to have friendships of varied duration. Some last decades, others are more fleeting and circumstantial. They describe selectively acquisitive people as somewhat choosy about what friendships they maintain over longer periods of time, as compared to those that are classified as unconditionally acquisitive people, which we will get into next. So by description, selectively acquisitive people would more than likely be part of the extroverted groups. They feed off social interaction and thrive off having multiple groups of friends for a variety of different activities, which we can all have that depending on your categorization of friends. You may prefer just deep conversation dinners with your confidants, but may like traveling with your constituents more. Selectively acquisitive friends might look like the one I mentioned at the top of this episode, meeting someone at a bar on a Saturday night and then having that intrinsic feeling they are now your best friend. And that may sound odd to some people, but we might need someone like this to get a party started or to lead the icebreaker at a work meeting. And lastly, let's look at what is said about unconditionally acquisitive friends. This group has the largest number of friends of the four styles. 
The emotional closeness differs from friend to friend, but on average is relatively low. There's also a wide range of friendship duration within this group, and it is more focused on socializing than emotional support. So yes, there are plenty of articles out there that may say having one good friend is the key to life or that two is optimal, but really it all depends on the person. For those that desire high levels of social interaction, having more friends to access may be what they need to fully feel grounded. They may not need them all at once, but knowing that they have a variety to pull from makes them feel loved and stable. Then there are some others that just want a couple of close friends that are more like them, but maybe not. If they are looking for friends more like-minded, it could be that they appreciate feeling validity in their viewpoints and decisions in life. Or someone that tends to have friends that don't have the same outlook on life as they do probably tends to appreciate various perspectives, which can also be at times in order to have debates. I have two quotes for you this week. One is by Lucius Seneca, who states, one of the most beautiful qualities of true friendship is to understand and to be understood. Muhammad Ali states, friendship is the hardest thing in the world to explain. It's not something you learn in school, but if you haven't learned the meaning of friendship, you really haven't learned anything. And something else that I heard recently, I don't remember where I heard it, but they said that in the right friendships, you can grow in different directions, but still together. It was explained as you can take different paths in life, yet remain friends and support one another. Thank you so much for listening and sharing this episode. As always, I hope this information was helpful for you. If you are enjoying what you're hearing, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify.